Well, it's good to greet you again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to our Graceway Baptist Church Sunday School lesson. This is for the uh, 21st of August of uh, 2022. And uh, I was doing some calendar work and some planning while ago and man, this year, uh, we're, do, we're, we're heading toward year end kind of stuff very, very quickly. And so I hope it's been a good year and I hope you've had a good summer. And uh, I know it's been a little hot and a little dry and extreme on some things, but there've been a lot of good things that have happened too. And there's always uh, a lot of reasons to praise the Lord. And so uh, give him praise and thank him for all of the things that he puts in your life. Now we are looking at the life of Daniel. We're kind of taking a little bit of a detour because we're talking more about Nebuchadnezzar right now. But at the same time, I think I said this last week, this story has Daniel's fingerprints and his DNA all over it. This is the outgrowth of a man of God who has had horrible circumstances in his life. Okay, let's, let's just think about this and think about how you would react and how you would live in this situation. Okay, he's a teenager. That, that's enough of a problem anyway for most of us because we look back at our teen years and they weren't all that great. But Daniel's a teenager and his nation is conquered by somebody else. Well, that would certainly compound any problems that you might have in adolescence, wouldn't it? And uh, it, there's no mention in the book of Daniel about any of his family. I think it's probably um, safe to assume that they were killed whenever Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem and conquered the nation of Judah, that southern kingdom. Uh, if not, it's functionally the same thing because Daniel is one of the brightest and best, and he is taken away to live in Babylon and to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. So whether his parents are dead or alive, he's never going to see them again. He's taken out of his culture. There's a different language. There's a different religion. There's a whole different uh, set of uh, circumstances for his life. And I think sometimes we're too quick to say, well, he was living in the palace. Well, he got promoted. But I, I think we have to take a step back <clears throat> and say that... Um, Maybe it's better than being a slave working in the field. Okay, I, th I think we would all agree on that. But at the same time, he's in a palace in a place he doesn't want to be serving a king that is, well, from a Jewish perspective, should have no rule over him. It's a Gentile pagan uh, king. And uh, all everything is just completely foreign and nothing that he had been uh, that he had chosen or nothing that he had uh, been raised to do or be in. This is all completely, completely foreign to a Jewish boy from Jerusalem. And uh, how many times have we seen that he has been threatened with uh, death, with execution, capital punishment, uh, he and his friends? And, uh, you know, it, it's happened a couple of times. I don't remember anything like that happening to me when I was about 17 years of age. Did you? And uh, yet Daniel's already been through this. And yet there's something amazing about this kid. He is very mature beyond his years. 
and he's very faithful to the Lord, and the Lord is using him in a great and mighty way. And it's a reminder that were we to be that sold out and surrendered to the Lord, there's no telling how he might use us. Dwight L. Moody was a Chicago-based evangelist in the late 1800s, powerful, powerful preacher, shook two continents for Christ. And yet he wasn't very educated. He didn't speak the king's English very well. And um, he was at a meeting one time with some other preachers, and someone said to him, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man totally surrendered to him. And Moody, he was young at that time, He said, by God's grace, I will be that man. Well, I'm sure that uh, because he was a sinner like all of us, he didn't make it, but that's the direction that he wanted to head. And I found that God will honor direction much more than he does perfection because none of us are perfect. It's, It's what we want, what we desire, and being sold out and surrendered to the Lord. I think that's where Daniel was and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as well. And that's why God used them so much. Well, now we're coming to the point where Nebuchadnezzar has started in this uh, fourth chapter, giving us his testimony. And he starts off, as we saw last week, kind of giving a recap of it. And then he tells the story. So he gives us the, the prequel I guess, is uh, coming after he tells us that he is a worshiper of the God of the nation of Judah, of the Jewish people. So we're going to focus in on verses uh, 20 through 33 in chapter 4. And we're going to talk about uh, the bad news in this situation, the necessity of the bad news. Why do you have to be so negative, people might say? And sometimes we fall for that and we bite for that and we want to be positive, happy, upbeat, and we should be. I'm not knocking any of that. But when you are witnessing to somebody, especially somebody in 21st century America that eats well and they've got two cars, they've got a house, their family is doing well, they've got a job, they've got money in the bank. You know what I'm talking about? Their health is good. And then you start telling them, well, I know all of that's good for you and it's all great, but you need to surrender to your life and um, you need to trust Christ as your Savior and Lord. And their question is, well, why do I need a Savior? Well, you're a, you're a sinner. Well, what is sin? And sometimes we say, well, you've got hang-ups, you've got mess-ups, you've got baggage, you've got scars, your pencil needs an eraser, things like that. And they just kind of nod and agree with that. And then they say, yeah, well, maybe later. And they walk off. And they're not all that excited about the good news because they don't understand the bad news. They don't understand the judgment of God, the wrath of God. They don't understand an eternity in hell. And they don't understand how they are qualified for hell because they have broken God's law and sinned against a holy God. And this holy God is a just God who punishes sin. So the gospel literally does mean good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, good news. And uh, there are some translations that instead of using the word gospel, they literally say, like Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the 
good news of Christ. That's a perfectly acceptable and accurate translation of that word. That's literally what it is. But is it good news? If somebody came to you and said, good news, we can do chemotherapy on you. Not until you tell me the bad news that I've got months to live and have a terrible cancer and my only hope is chemotherapy. Well, then I might be willing, okay? When uh, the doctor came to me and told me that I had to have open heart surgery, had he just simply come up to me and said, your heart's functioning good, life is good for you and all of that. How about a open heart surgery? Uh, not on your life. Had to have bad news first. And the same thing is true with salvation. The Lord uses bad news. And Nebuchadnezzar is literally getting very bad news and God knows exactly where to hit him as he does with all of us. So here we go, thinking that we've got great news and if we'll just tell the world the good news, they'll just come running to us and running and embracing Christ. Not, not really. We need to be careful that we tell them the whole story. Now, I'm not saying being jerk. I'm not saying hit them over the head with it all the time. I'm just saying when the opportunity arises and as you were witnessing, you need to deal with sin and you need to deal with the penalty of sin and you need to let them see themselves as a sinner uh, because, well, uh, a pastor I grew up under said, you got to get them lost before you can get them saved. And that really, really is true. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the basis of the um, introduction there. You certainly can read that for yourself and uh, you'll draw the same conclusion. Let's do point number one about the necessity of bad news. And we'll say this, it's, nece it's necessary, I can talk, necessary because of human pride that deceives us. And that's verses 20 through 22 of chapter four. Now Nebuchadnezzar is a very, very successful and wealthy man. What does he need? The word of a, you know, a Jewish captive. Why would he believe that? Why would he change his way of thinking and change his life and surrender to that God? After all, I'm more powerful than your God because I conquered him. My gods are more powerful because we conquered them. And after all, if you were such a hot shot and your God was so great, you wouldn't be here as a captive, would you? You can kind of see where he would get some of his pride. Look at verse 20. Daniel is giving the interpretation of what it really means. The tree that you saw, which grew up and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, and which would be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and uh, whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. So the tree was a metaphor okay, for, the, for King Nebuchadnezzar. So who have grown and become strong and your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. Okay? 
Now, the problem is not that Nebuchadnezzar had necessarily done that. In fact, as we know from what the prophet said, he warned the people of Judah over and over, if you don't repent and quit worshiping false gods, I'm going to let a pagan who worships those gods way more than you do come in and conquer you and you'll be driven out of the land. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, his problem was that he was taking credit for all of that. And you know, we have this tendency, that's uh, bullet number one, to take credit for what we do. And we think we pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps, which is an impossibility. And we forget that as hard as we may work and successful, successful as we may be, we didn't make ourselves that way. God gave you the brain that you use. God gave you the physical ability. God allowed you to be born in a nation where there was a free market system and the availability of jobs and that kind of thing. You could be in a slum in Mumbai, India, and uh, not have any of these opportunities. We just take far too much credit for what we do. God could remove your options in a hurry. And we fail to honor God for what he has done and what he has enabled us to do because we kind of forget that he did it. And we're not really all that thankful. We think it's normal. It's normal to feel good. It's normal to wake up. It's normal to work on a computer. It's normal to eat whatever you want during the day. It's normal to have a job that provides income. Well, it's not. When you look at world history especially, it's not normal. You have been very, very, very blessed. The other thing that happens is we measure greatness by human standards, not by God, of course. In Romans 1, 20 and 21, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are, meaning lost people, without excuse. Nature witnesses to them. Now, that's what we call general revelation. General revelation won't save you. You don't get saved by saying, there's a tree, there must be a God who made it. You've got to have special revelation to know about Christ for that. But general revelation will take away all of your excuses. Why are you living the way you are? And why are you living in such a prideful, independent state when you know and have seen the evidence that there is a God, a higher power, and yet you didn't bother to find out who he is and how to know him? See how that's going to happen? And every lost person will stand before God condemned by their understanding of the moon, the stars, the sun, the universe, the grass, the trees, the birds, everything that God has created. That's Paul's point. So they are without excuse. Why? He tells us. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That was you before you were saved. That's Nebuchadnezzar. That's the way it was. Looking at all of that kind of stuff, he took credit for it. God's got something to say about that. Number two, bad news is necessary because we reject God's sovereign decrees. Look at verse 23 through 25. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, 
I would understand that as an angel, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet. And when it says it, it's talking about Nebuchadnezzar or the tree, the stump there that uh, represents him. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, going to be outdoors, and let him graze with the beast of the field. He's going to live like an animal till seven times or years pass over him. And this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. And they shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times or years will pass over you till you know, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Get it? This is going to happen to you until you understand you're not as big as you think you are and that this God that you have acknowledged is much bigger than you have ever thought he might be. So God has decreed this, Daniel says. Now, God's decree of judgment is always irreversible, always irreversible. Now, he doesn't always judge to the max. Sometimes it's a temporary judgment. Sometimes it's a lighter judgment than maybe a heavy duty one. Sometimes it destroys a nation and we never hear from them again. There are nations in history like that. Sometimes the judgment of God actually corrects and reforms a nation. But nonetheless, once God has decreed it, it's going to come. So this is not something that Nebuchadnezzar can get out of. In verse 24 and 25, note the wording. It says it has come and then it uses the word shall, which is in there five times. Sounds like God's determined this is going to happen. This is not optional. This is not up for negotiation. And how long is it going to last? Well, this isn't going to be a final judgment or an eternal judgment or a destroying judgment. In fact, it's actually going to bring renewal, revival, awakening, whatever you want to call it. How long does it last? Until you know. And so God determines that there's going to be a reprieve. Let's go back to Romans 1, verse 22 through 25. Love it. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Isn't that the truth? And even today, we may not bow down to idols, but we bow down to sometimes people. We kind of uh, worship people in a different way. We're, we claim to be fans of them and we make them to be more than they really are. 
sometimes with great intellect, sometimes with athletes, sometimes with other types of celebrities, and we follow them, we dress like them, we act like them, kind of the same thing. And then we are in kind of a nature-worshiping thing now. Last Sunday night, we had a video that uh, talked to college students about the environment, and a couple of them even suggested that the environment had a will, and the environment was the higher power that we worship. Same thing that Paul was talking about here. And this is where we find Nebuchadnezzar, and this is where people are, uh, of course, today. Number three, Bad news is necessary because of self-righteousness. Boy, that's the big rub, isn't it? We all think we're better than we really are. And that's because we compare ourselves to other people and we can always find somebody worse than us. I mean, you know, I may be bad, but I'm no Charles Manson or Timothy McVeigh or anybody, or Bin Laden or anything like that. Well, compare yourself to a holy God and then let's talk. Look at verse 26 and 27. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins and being by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Tells us kind of where Nebuchadnezzar's sin problem was, doesn't it? Repent, correct it. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So we think about this. What people need to realize is heaven rules, not any of us. We're all flawed. We are broken. We are sinners. We're under the judgment of God. In fact, I remind you, it was Jesus who said that those who do not believe are condemned. And then he uses this word already. If you think about what that means about all of the people you know that are lost and the people you do business with that are lost, they're not going to be condemned. They already are condemned, right? And sin must be dealt with because it shows our inability to please God. I used to work at a Ken's Pizza in Owasso, and uh, let's say that I made a pizza, and uh, I I made it, the crust is really great because it was made out of fresh dough that I mixed up, and the sauce is, is just perfect and wonderful, the right amount, the right spicing and flavoring on it. And then I put the uh, cheese on it and man, it was good. And we didn't use shredded cheese back then. We used uh, rectangles of it that we would cut up and place around the pizza. And man, it melted so wonderfully. And then we would put the pepperoni or Canadian bacon or sausage or whatever it might be. And then the uh, vegetables that might be on it. Let's say that I do all of that and your mouth is watering because it is really, really good, because I made a mean pizza back in the day. And we didn't have them on conveyor belts. We actually put them in ovens so that we uh, could make them right. They weren't just, you know, uh, mechanized. And we would watch them and, you know, do all kinds of stuff to them. But let's say before I did that, I said, I found some mushrooms out in the woods, and I chopped them up, and I put them on the pizza, And I said, uh, I think they're poison, but don't worry. Most of the pizzas 
really, really good and it won't hurt you. Would you want that pizza? And of course, the answer is absolutely not. <clears throat> and that's the way our lives are. We try to offer God the pizza, so to speak, of our lives. And we don't understand sometimes until we really grasp the gospel that the sin, the poison mushrooms in our lives. I mean, I'm no axe murderer and I'm no mass murderer. I mean, don't I get credit for that? Except that the lust and the lies and the selfishness and all of those things where I've broken God's law, as, as it's kind of uh, baking in the oven, it begins to break down and the juice from those poison mushrooms contaminate everything. That's the way our lives are. And Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know that and neither does anyone else uh, when, until the Holy Spirit reveals it to them. And that's why sin has to be dealt with. And that's why when I was 10 years old, I walked an aisle and did what they said, but I don't remember really dealing with my sin. That would have been uh, my fault. And so it shows that we can't please God. God would be no more happy with your life outside of Christ than he would, than you would be with my poison mushroom pizza. And uh, showing mercy as opposed to living for self. Nebuchadnezzar must have been a very selfish person, as we can imagine. And repentance brings change. And so Daniel is calling on him to change and to pursue righteousness that acknowledges God's perfection and submission to him that actually seeks mercy, forgiveness, and grace from God. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the idea of somebody having to forgive him would just, um, you know, make him really, really upset at this time. And this is the way people are everywhere around you that you try to witness to. Going back to Romans 1, 28 through 32. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what they, uh, to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, and they were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They were gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, fearless, and ruthless. Though they knew, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give appro approval. One translation says hearty approval to those who practice them. In other words, it spreads and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. And they come up with things that a few years ago you never would have imagined. Sound like America? Sound like Western culture? Sure does to me. Number four, the bad news is necessary because of God's truthfulness. See, we don't want to be guilty of just telling them half of the story, half of the truth that God has revealed to us. We want to be faithful to God's truth because his truth is always faithful and right. Look at uh, Daniel 4, 28 through 33. All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. Well, we should expect that. God said it would. We should expect that. We should never be surprised by that. And at the end of 12 months, <clears throat> he was walking. This is 12 months after the dream. He was walking 
about the royal palace of Babylon. And the king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a, a royal dwelling by my mighty power? I'm doing that intentionally. For the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth. I mean, stopping there. Apparently he didn't take Daniel's prophecy very seriously, did it? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. It's God's sovereign will and power, isn't it? Verse 32, and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men a grass, <clears throat> excuse me, like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Well, we need to remember God's promises are true because God is a faithful God. And that includes the negative as well as <clears throat> the positive. And God's judgment and wrath are very real. That's as much of who he is as love and mercy, forgiveness, that type of thing. It's a fearful thing, the writer of Hebrews says, to fall in the hands of a living God. That is so true. And it may not be readily apparent, but it will happen in God's time. Sin is going to be judged. Now, it's either going to be judged on Christ with Christ paying for it in full, or it's going to be judged in an eternity in hell, which is terrifying to think about, but we need to grasp that and need to understand that. And th this word was fulfilled because God's bad news is just as real as his good news. Romans 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I mean, that's what's happening. That's the world that we live in. That, that's the kind of situation that you are in every single day. That's one of those frightening things. Because remember, Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And then it's only down at verse 18, for the wrath of God Notice how both of those things are together, is revealed from heaven. Paul didn't hesitate to warn people of the wrath of God. So in conclusion, let's just state this. No one gets saved until they know they are lost. When we witness, we must tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, right? We need to tell the whole truth, the good and the bad. In fact, you say, is there a verse for that? How about Colossians 1, 28 and 29? This is a great ministry verse, great Sunday school teacher verse, great pastor verse. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, notice that comes first, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom 
that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so the bottom line for believers, even us as teachers, should be working hard to warn. That's what Paul says. It's not haphazard. It's not just, uh, if it comes up, I'll try to do it. Paul was seeking to give that warning to people. Why? Because you can't get them saved until you get them lost. And the good news is not really palatable to uh, the lost world until they see what the bad news is. In fact, I was listening to Glenn Beck, who was a Mormon one day on the radio, and he actually said, this idea of salvation by grace through faith, not of works, is appalling to me. It's not verbatim, but it's pretty close. And then he explained it because he said, here I am trying to live a good life, a moral life, and you're telling me that someone that lives like Adolf Hitler right before they die could get saved and they go to the same heaven I do. He goes, I just can't accept that or handle that. That's the way the world looks at it because they are self-righteous and they are confused. And this is why we need to find a way to tell them the whole truth. There is none righteous, no, not one. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The bad news is what makes the good news so incredibly good. And as a Christian, why don't you take a few moments just to contemplate where you would be if it were not for the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation? Well, thank you for the time that you have given today. I appreciate it so very much. Look forward to seeing you very soon. God bless you teachers as you teach this lesson. May God give you insight and power as you share it with your class. And for those of you who are watching to keep up with our Sunday school, thank you for doing that. I really do appreciate that. That's a very good thing. So thank you, and we will see you again next week. God bless.